Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm David Yazzie, executive editor of the New Criterion, and I'm delighted that you could all be here uh, for this celebration of uh, the New Criterion, which is now in its 26th year. In fact, we've just finished our 25th anniversary, uh, which we marked with the publication of this book, Counterpoint, which I encourage you all to take a look at. Um, our panelists are all represented, uh, along with um, uh, uh, a great number of, uh, of our um, uh, most uh, distinguished contributors over the years. Uh, we're delighted to be uh, here at the Travelers Club. This seems uh, appropriate. We've come a long way and feel very welcome uh, here. Um, a quarter of a century is no mean lifespan for a small magazine of the arts and culture. Uh, even T.S. Eliot's Criterion, for which the new Criterion was named, did not manage to hang on for so long. <coughs> I want to introduce uh, a few of our um, staff and friends. James Pinero, who is the managing editor of the new Criterion, is here with us. Uh, <coughs> Don Steves, who is our English uh, ambassador. <laughs> uh, and has done um, uh, uh, so much of what you uh, uh, see tonight by way of preparation. <coughs> I want to thank a few people um, who uh, have been instrumental in putting this evening together. Uh, Michael Mossbacher from the Social Affairs Unit. Uh, we're delighted to be uh, uh, working with Michael uh, on an uh, annual basis now. Um, the most recent conference um, that was a collaboration between the Social Affairs Unit and the New Criterion was on the future of conservatism in New York City. Plans have already begun for next year's conference, which will take place in London, am I right? In the UK, yeah. Fine, fine. And um, I'll uh, also uh, say a word of thanks to uh, James Penrose, uh, who uh, is our uh, patron this evening. And um, uh, we're delighted to have uh, other friends who've been extremely helpful. Uh, <coughs> Peter Whittle from uh, uh, New Culture Forum. And um, we're delighted, as always, to have with us uh, uh, our <laughs> dear friend Donald Kahn, uh, with whom uh, the new criterion uh, would simply uh, uh, cease to be. Let me briefly introduce our panelists, uh, the topic of our panel, and uh, away we go. So uh, Anthony Daniels, uh, his most recent book, and I'll just be very brief here uh, in, uh, in the interest of time, the author most recently, of In Praise of Prejudice, uh, another provocative title um, uh, from uh, Tony Daniels, and that book has just come out from Encounter Books. Roger Kimball, who is uh, sitting uh, nearest here on my left, is co-editor and publisher of The New Criterion, uh, as well as editor of Encounter Books. Uh, his most recent book is Retaking the University, uh, which will be forthcoming. Eric Ormsby is uh, a... Uh, uh, frequent contributor to uh, the New Criterion and a columnist at the New York Sun. He writes also for the Wall Street Journal, the Times Literary Supplement, and has just published a, a book of selected poems. Eric Ormsby is one of our finest uh, poets, and I encourage you uh, uh, to, read, uh, to read his poems. Uh, David Price Jones, um, and uh, you'll note the uh, uh, typo on the program. This is one of the reasons why we uh, so miss Dawn in our office, her <laughs> spelling prowess. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, <coughs> oh, thank you. Uh, I think you can sort it out. It's that, that, yeah. that blasted apostrophe. 
Um, <laughs> David's uh, latest book is Betrayal, uh, France, the Arabs, and the Jews. And he's also published a novel uh, that's just recently appeared called Safe Houses. And finally, on the end, uh, Kenneth Minogue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was on the end, oh, but oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I switched them, I switched them. Uh, David on the end, uh, next to him on his right, uh, Kenneth Minogue, uh, who's just finished a book uh, on the subject of democracy and the moral life, which will be forthcoming uh, very shortly. Uh, recently, the Daily Telegraph pronounced the new criterion America's best journal of the arts and intellectual life, which... Thank you, Harry. Harry's here someplace. <laughs> Is Harry not here? <laughs> and uh, this prompted the um, political commentator George Will to remark, isn't that, you know, America's best journal of the arts and intellectual life, isn't that like being the tallest building in Topeka? Which I'd have to give a kind of cultural, <laughs> what would be the, uh, the cultural uh, uh, correlative for that? Uh, Inverness, perhaps. You know? uh, which is to say that um, championing high culture is a challenge uh, as much here in England as it is uh, in the United States. But can a small magazine like the New Criterion, whose influence has always exceeded its circulation figures, really make a difference on these important matters of culture and the arts? And this is the question posed to our panel today. Uh, we'll begin with Roger Kimball. Uh, and um, we'll, uh, we'll hope that they say the new criterion can make a difference, but, uh, but let's see. Roger Kimball. Thank you. Um, <coughs> I, 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 uh, <coughs> it's very rare that I'm ever described uh, as being on the left of anyone, so I was uh, uh, happy, to, happy to be on the left of, of, of David. Um, David urged us all to keep this very short. I will do so. I can keep it very short and just say yes <laughs> to magazines matter, but I'll say a, a few more words than that, and I'm delighted you all could come uh, and join us tonight as well. I, I think it was Cyril Conley <coughs> who said uh, that every young man wants to have a chicken farm and start a magazine. <laughs> uh, I've done neither, I regret to say, but I have been working at the new Criterion for a good long while and have been writing for it uh, for even longer. Um, when my colleague Hilton Kramer and the late Samuel Littman started the new Criterion in 1982, they certainly thought that uh, magazines would matter. And they hoped to preside over an organ that would stand up uh, for high standards of aesthetic achievement, that cultivated good writing, and that would approach cultural issues on their own terms, not with the pre-forged manacles of political ideology. Now, in a normal world, uh, that might not seem like a great deal to ask for. I mean, of course you want your, your magazines to be well-written and you don't want to subject culture to ideology, but in our world, unfortunately, it is a great deal to ask for. It was then and it is now. Such desiderata, I think, are devilish hard to come by, both in the world of journalism and even more, I need hardly say, in that sweaty polysyllabic uh, uh, precinct known as the, the academic uh, world, <laughs> the university. Well, Hilton and Sam adapted the name of their new journal, as David mentioned, from T.S. Eliot's illustrious magazine, The Criterion, which ran from the early 1920s through 1939. At its peak, the Criterion had a circulation of about 700. And yet, it was one of the most influential cultural journals of the last century. 
The new criterion, while some 10 times larger than its namesake, is still small. Uh, nevertheless, it too exerts an influence far larger than its size might suggest. It does so, I believe, largely because it has consistently endeavored to live up to that ideal of criticism whose task Eliot defined as the elucidation of works of art and the correction of taste. Now, both of these things are politically incorrect ambitions for reasons you can uh, easily understand, but I think they're necessary to the health of culture to try to elucidate works of art and to correct taste. Of course, that assumes that um, one, uh, uh, one believes that taste is worth correcting, that some books are better than others and many other politically incorrect things. Um, from the beginning, I think the new criterion distinguished itself in two distinct realms of intellectual and critical endeavor. The first was the area of cultural polemics, what I often call uh, the task of intellectual garbage collector. Uh, at a moment, a moment that persists to the present hour, when most cultural writing was either some variety of academic reader-proof inanity or a species <laughs> of public relations puffery, the new criterion endeavored to take serious culture seriously. The business of a critic, said Walter Badgett, is to criticize, that is, to sift, to discriminate, to make judgments. This we did with an enthusiasm and literary flair, I think, that instantly won us many admirers. We write for the generally educated reader, not the academic specialist. We assume that our readers are hungry for forthright engagement with intellectual and artistic matters, and we do not hesitate to call a spade a spade. And many are the essays and reviews in the new criterion devoted to skewering the meretricious pretensions of the politically correct purveyors of pseudo-art and pseudo-scholarship. Our articles on the depredations of the art world, the preposterous spectacle of the Modern Language Association and other academic organizations, on the bloviating mendacities of the tenured radicals who lead our universities, <laughs> all have earned us plenty of thanks, but also plenty of enmity. Above all, I think, they've earned us the respect, grudging or otherwise, depending on the audience, for candid criticism. But let me pause just for a moment to savor the enmity that we have inspired. <laughs> the, the 19th century novelist and critic William Dean Howells, and those of you who know me know I love this remark, somewhere said that the problem for a critic is not making enemies, but keeping them. <laughs> and the, the new criterion has always excelled at both of these. From the very beginning, we have put really a tremendous amount to our enemies. They put us on the map. And I'd like to take this occasion, in case any of you are here, <laughs> thank you for inadvertently helping us to publicize our cause. But the second area in which the new criterion has distinguished itself is quite far from cultural polemics. It's it's uh, in the battle against what I call cultural amnesia. Many of the articles we have run, long, serious articles on major figures and movements from that vast storehouse of our artistic, intellectual, and political patrimony, poets, philosophers, statesmen, musicians, artists, choreographers, performers of all kinds, travel writers, travelers, we have be uh, from the very beginning striven to breathe new life into the past, and that has made us who we are. The great enemies here, I think, are forgetfulness and what the American uh, philosopher and cultural observer Richard Weaver called presentism, the belief or the assumption that our little moment of time somehow represents the very pinnacle of existence. 
the poet and critic Alan Pate once wrote about those people who begin each day as if there were no yesterdays. And it's part of what the new criterion is about, uh, is to repopulate that vista of our yesterdays, showing how what once mattered still matters. In the closing of The American Mind, a very famous book in the, in the United States that is now uh, enjoying its 20th anniversary, the philosopher Alan Bloom said that the goal of a liberal education was to acquaint students with the real alternatives that have been offered to the question, <coughs> how should I live my life? That question is as much aesthetic as personal, as much religious as it is social or intellectual. At the deepest level, I suppose, we think of the new criterion as a kind of handmaiden to that never-ending task of posing and answering that question. In a recent article about the new criterion, the historian Paul Johnson noted that there was nothing like it in England. It's a complaint that we often hear, and I'm pleased that so many of our friends could join us tonight as we continue addressing this uh, unaccountable task. Thank you. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's a great honor to be here. Um, when people ask me, as they often do, whether prison works, I ask them whether they think that crime rates would go up, down, or stay the same if uh, there were not only no prisons, but no prospect of anyone ever going to prison. And the answer, of course, uh, the question answers itself. Well, in the same way, we might ask, uh, what would the world be like without cultural reviews and magazines? John Maynard Keynes once famously remarked that the ideas of economists and political philosophers, both when they're right and when they're wrong, are more powerful than is commonly understood. Practical men who believe themselves to be quite exempt from any intellectual influences are usually the slaves of some uh, defunct economist. Well, the same is no doubt true of intellectual disciplines other than economics and political philosophy, certainly true of medicine. Uh, our culture is uh, decisively shaped by ideas, good, bad, and indifferent. And I suppose it's worth remembering in this connection that, there, that uh, no battle of ideas, other than perhaps in the purest of science, is ever won once and for all. And the work of uh, the intellect and of criticism is never over. Um, let me just allude to one possible function, or at least an effect, of reviews such as the new criterion. I don't claim that we have influence, but we sometimes have an effect. And uh, to prove this, I will just read out an email that I think was received today or very recently uh, from Stanley Weintraub about an article that I myself wrote uh, comparing the attitude of Bernard Shaw and... Uh, Ryder Haggard to vaccination. And of course, Ryder Haggard was much more intelligent than Bernard Shaw. <laughs> 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 uh, the article is entitled The Cure for Bernard Shaw. Uh, <laughs> Bernard Shaw was a deeply superstitious and ignorant man. The Cure for Bernard Shaw by Anthony Daniels is potty juvenile humor at its most ignorant level. <laughs> he knows or remembers almost nothing beyond trivia. He has a lifetime's labor for your pages ahead of him. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I haven't lived entirely in vain. <laughs> and assume that he does, in fact, have uh, tenure. Anyhow. 
Uh, one, uh, the, the, the uh, I, I wasn't going to reveal the circulation of the new criterion because I thought it was a state secret, <laughs> but you haven't <laughs> actually revealed it. But as Roger has said, its influence is much greater than its circulation might suggest, in part thanks to the internet, I think. Uh, not long ago, and I'm referring again to an article of mine, I hope you'll forgive me, I, I published a small article in the new criterion that was critical of a new art gallery in Walsall. And thanks to the internet, it was picked up by the local and uh, national uh, media, and there was a... Uh, brief storm in Walsall's, I won't call it teacup, I <laughs> muddy canal would be more accurate. <laughs> uh, and I was roundly and publicly abused by, and even threatened by uh, some of Walsall's town councillors. <coughs> well, the gallery uh, was totally dysfunctional. It was inappropriate for its purpose. It was hideously ugly, vastly <laughs> expensive, and totally out of keeping with <coughs> its surroundings. So naturally, of course, it won many out <laughs> and was universally praised. If you had been asked uh, without knowing what it was, what it was, you would have thought that it was the headquarters of the secret police of some peculiarly nasty dictatorship, which in a sense I suppose it was. <laughs> well, uh, as if by the uh, operation of some exterminating angel, all contrary voices uh, were silenced. There wasn't a single criticism of it uh, anywhere. Now, I don't want to say that my criticism and judgments were indubitably correct, though naturally I think that they were. Uh, <laughs> but because there existed a cultural review such as the New Criterion, with a firm point of view but not beholden to anyone, I was able publicly to express this opinion. And I was actually very moved by the response I had from people who felt until then that their opinion had counted for nothing and nobody had ever listened to them. Um, and uh, I had mentioned in the article that Walsall was the ugliest place on earth. That's true, <laughs> I hadn't been to every place on earth, so this <coughs> is going beyond my personal knowledge. Uh, but I'm glad to say a television programme uh, took a, a straw poll of viewers and much to the annoyance of the town councillors who threatened me, 60% uh, of the voters agreed with me. <laughs> well, it's very easy to create a cultural consensus uh, by means of what the French call la pensée unique, and then to have that consensus policed with ferocity by those who develop it. Uh, and they use all the techniques of anathema and excommunication. And it's a mistake, I believe, to suppose that threats to intellectual freedom come from governments alone or even principally, although governments, of course, often <coughs> cooperate uh, uh, with and reinforce uh, convenient consensuses. Well, a consensus should not be broken because it is a consensus, but because it is wrong. And it is only if we have reviews such as the new criterion that I think we can preserve what is worth preserving, attack what is worth attacking, and encouraging uh, and encourage what is worth encouraging and that is what uh, criticism is for thank you ladies and gentlemen i feel very honored to have been invited to participate in this distinguished panel in answer to the question do magazines matter i thought i could not do better than to quote 
uh, one of your great um, citizens of the City of London, Samuel Johnson, um, gives me great pleasure to quote his words in the city he loved and deplored in almost equal measure. Uh, this was written almost 250 years ago in the third issue of his magazine, The Rambler, and this is what he said. When I consider the innumerable multitudes that having no motive or desi of desire or determination of will lie freezing in perpetual inactivity till some external impulse puts them in motion, who awake in the morning vacant of thought with minds gaping for the intellectual food which some kind essayist has been accustomed to supply, I am moved by the commiseration with which all human beings ought to behold the distresses of each other to try some expedients for their relief and to inquire by what methods the listless may be actuated and the empty be replenished, end of quote. Now, the Rambler only survived for two years, from 1750 to 1752. The new criterion has uh, not only survived, but thrived for 25 years. And during that time, it has actuated the listless and replenished the empty. Uh, I can testify that to that on my own account. I first encountered the new criterion uh, some 20 years ago. Uh, and I cannot not forget, I will never forget, the liberating effect uh, its fresh point of view and frank discourse had on me. I felt as though suddenly uh, a light had been shown. And if I seem to exaggerate, forgive me, but in the uh, atmosphere of American magazines, in the, the climate that prevails, to find any magazine which expresses itself candidly as well as elegantly uh, comes almost with the force of revelation to a reader. Uh, I never thought, I little thought at the time that I would ever uh, have the privilege of writing for the magazine, and so of course, uh, of course, I'm completely objective on this subject. <laughs> but um, I thought I would add to the comments of my uh, distinguished predecessors, uh, not by reading abuse which has been directed uh, at me, although there has been uh, quite a bit, uh, uh, but by pointing out something about the new criterion which might not be apparent to you here in England, uh, in the UK, and that is that. Uh, it enjoys the paradoxical position of being a magazine which truly is a criterion. It represents uh, the highest aesthetic and uh, ethical standards, intellectually, uh, of any magazine I know. Uh, and yet, at the same time, it's a strangely subversive criterion. Uh, it almost enjoys the status of an underground magazine in some quarters. Uh, I know many people on the left who read it religiously but will never admit it. Uh, once when I wrote a rather uh, caustic article on the state of American poetry, I received all kinds of phone calls asking me, what did you say? And I said, well, don't you read it? I mean, why don't you read the article? Why should I summarize it for you? Oh, no, no, I never read it, <laughs> they said. Uh, but please summarize it for me. Uh, one of them even said, uh, an editor at uh, The New Yorker, in fact, said, uh, it's my small form of protest not to read the new criterion. Uh, and yet one finds uh, the ideas and insights and arguments advanced in the new criterion uh, seeping almost uh, indiscernibly into intellectual discourse. It has a large impact for a small magazine. And I think that one of the reasons, uh, of course, it's been pointed out by my predecessors also, that the new criterion has served as a kind of gadfly, but it's a rather genial gadfly. Uh, it, it buzzes and stings, but it, it's always done with humor, with wit, with good manners, uh, and in marvelous prose. Uh, it's one of the best written magazines, not only in North America, but in the world, in my opinion. I uh, will end with another quote, uh, 
which might seem a little grandiose to you, but if you keep my total impartiality in mind, you won't think so. Uh, the French poet, about 150 years after Samuel Johnson, the French poet Charles Péguy, uh, made the remark, Homer is fresh every day, while nothing is deader than yesterday's newspaper. Uh, it's perhaps exaggerated, you might think a, a little exaggerated, to say that this, the new criterion shares some of that Homeric freshness. And it does so because it's always operated on a basis of utter honesty and unswerving fidelity to certain principles uh, which have made it fresh and alive for 25 years. Thank you. Uh, <coughs> do magazines matter? Well, as David certainly knows, it's an Arabic word meaning storehouse. It went into Spanish as Almarcen and into mm. French as magasin. Um, uh, I think books, I mean, the idea of uh, some storehouses, of course, are of explosives and magazines blow up. And there's a sense in which magazines as um, sets of ideas could also, uh, could also blow up. Um, cultural magazines keep low company. They belong on bookstalls alongside the flesh and the polemics and the current affairs and so on. Uh, we idolize books, we despise the media and the magazines. We're not quite sure what our attitude to it is or perhaps should be. I think the important people in all of this are editors. Uh, editors sniff the zeitgeist and indeed to some extent determine the agenda to which we will be paying attention in the next, in the next few years. They are, I think, the unacknowledged legislators of mankind because they determine the things <laughs> that get our attention. <coughs> um, Dr. Johnson, Eric mentioned Dr. Johnson, who said at one point, human beings need more often to be reminded than to be informed. And uh, <laughs> cultural magazines certainly do that. And editors, I think, are the people who above all do it. They live in the midst of love and hate. <laughs> love of those whom they have published and hate those whom they have brushed off. And I have known and loved many an editor in my time. I mean, some of them are our own people here. I mean, John Gross, who revolutionized the Times Literary Supplement, and John O'Sullivan, who went to America to the National Review. Um, and that gives an important clue, I think, to one important feature of what we're talking about, namely the pool of interest that we are concerned with is Anglophonia. It's the English-speaking world. National boundaries don't mean anything very much. Um, I mean, one of the great uh, editors I remember is Mel Lasky, over whom the, the suggestions of CIA money was never entirely absent. A terrific, lively, vital character, somewhat devious. I mean, it was sometimes said that if Machiavelli had not written a book called The Prince, he might have written a book called The Editor along oh. pretty much <laughs> similar, similar lines. I mean, it's, um, it is, I mean, like Roger, uh, Mill, of course, had lots of things of his own to say. Some editors are purely transmission belts, but lots of them also have terrific I was about to say branch industries, but that's not quite the most use of their own. 
I mean, Roger we all know and admire because he presents us each month with this picture of the world, this sense of the zeitgeist, the things that make us cross and that, uh, that also make us extremely happy. So that instead of eyeballing culture these days, we often kimball culture. <laughs> uh, he is also an entrepreneur, which is an important element in this whole business, because along with Mike Mossbacker of the Social Affairs Unit, as David mentioned, they have set up a set of conferences year by year by year, um, conferences that deal with major political and social problems of our time, the, the most recent one being last September in, uh, in New York. Um, some of us are, are veterans of that and of various others. There is a story of life in New York about a playgoer, rather Tootsie Pooh, po-faced playgoer coming out of a performance, walking up Broadway and Tramp says, brother, can you spare a dime? And he says, neither a borrower nor a lender be Shakespeare, <laughs> and walks on, only to hear the Tramp in the distance saying, Fuck off, <laughs> David Mamet. <laughs> in other words, the tramps in New York have something of the sophistication of the new criterion, and I think London should catch up with them. <laughs> well, R Roger mentioned Cyril Connolly. And I knew Cyril really quite well. He even once wrote a book about him. And he started what is really a, the kind of flagship magazine, Horizon, in September 1940, financed with £100 from Peter Watson, a margarine millionaire. <coughs> and they never had to put any more money into it either. And it lasted for 10 years. Cyril's view of a magazine was that it was really... It had to be the Spartans at Thermopylae. I remember an image that he had one day when he, we, we were sitting in a tea room in Tunbridge Wells called The Bin, full <laughs> of light tea. And he said, let's find a new literary movement, down with Kirstler, down with Spender. <laughs> and all the people in the tea room <laughs> dropped their forks. Clapped, I hope. Well, no, I think they were just mostly astonished. <laughs> He had another image, which was that a little magazine should be like a group of people going on an escalator up and making a tremendous, boisterous noise of enjoying themselves slightly, while all the people on the escalator going down would ask themselves, what are these people doing? And I think that was certainly um, true about um, Horizon. <coughs> now, who did it reach? It kept English culture going through those difficult years from 1940 to 1950. And I think another thing, which you never can judge, is when you cast your bread upon the waters, who you're going to reach. So one day, Edi Kiduri said to me, who I think, by the way, is one of the greatest men I ever met, had the good luck to meet. Edi said to me one day that he'd been the only subscriber in Iraq of Horizon. <laughs> and he used to buy it from Mackenzie's, the English language bookshop in the center of Baghdad. Well, by pure coincidence, one day I met somebody called Nisim Redwan, who again by just chance said to me, when I was young, I was the clerk 
and you won't have heard of it. It was Mackenzie's bookshop in, in Baghdad. And do you know, Edie Kaduri used to get a writing, but I used to take it and read it for three days before he got it. <laughs> <laughs> so he always got his horizon late. Now, you know, those are two people <coughs> who it was well worth um, influencing. And I think the same is true. Ken mentioned Mel Lasky. People really wanted to write to Encounter. It was the very best thing the CIA ever did, if they really <laughs> had the imagination. <laughs> ever had the imagination to finance this. I, I've always wondered if they really did, because I appear to be so unimaginative in all other fields. <laughs> but if they did do it, it was a great day's work, because that was a wonderful magazine. And if you ever find back numbers of it, you will find not only that they retrieve things from Raymond Aron and Bielsa, and I'm thinking, you know, um, Bob Conquest, and nobody would publish Bob. Um, well, Mel, certainly at the end of his life, <coughs> thought he'd won the Cold War. And, you know, you can make a case for it. You can make a case for <coughs> it. Um, he, he persuaded people to listen to the counter-argument of the Hobsbawms and the E.P. Thompsons and all the rest of it. And there is, isn't there, a daily struggle for public opinion. And not many people are waging that struggle. It depends on such a, such a chancy business, who you reach and how you reach them and where you reach them. And you need the reputation and you need the argument. And then the great masses out there say, I'm going to vote that way or this way. And so the <coughs> battle is a genuine one and it matters very, very greatly. And I think a good editor, and Roger is certainly one of these, runs a magazine where the contributors really are prepared to fight to contribute. And you want to. They, you're proud of it, and it's part of the daily war that has to be waged. Desmond McCarthy had a nice sentence in which he says that the critics and criticism form the coral reef against the daily tide of incoming rubbish. <laughs> we're, we're part of the coral reef. story where uh, Isaac Bashevis Singer was giving a reading and there's always that moment when they say oh questions and then there's a pause and he, so he told his friend well ask me a question when I get up there and he said to his friend ask me does Gibble the Fool is that, a, is that a metaphor for God and the guy asked him he said that's the stupidest question Daniel Johnson. Well, I would say yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, the uh, proprietors m make it all possible, uh, you know, and uh, the, the new criterion certainly could not exist without um, a, you know, a network of, of avid stalwart supporters. Some of whom, including Don O'Connor, are here tonight. We, you know, um, uh, what we say is often not popular. People don't want to hear it. We buck the contemporary opinion about um, uh, matters, political, social, intellectual, political, 
Um, and so, uh, yes, of course, they, they matter. And I'll just add as a, as a footnote, and thank you for your question, um, if anyone is interested in supporting the New Criterion, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do have a friends program, uh, which we encourage you to join uh, through uh, Michael or Dawn or however you're connected with the magazine. You know, keep abreast of, uh, of our uh, events both here and uh, around uh, the United States, and uh, we look forward to, uh, to seeing you often in the future. Yes? As you mentioned, one of my favorite books, uh, The Closing of the American Mind, uh, and having seen it over here, at least over the last 20 years, how does one keep poetry going when it seems that we are going into this age of unreason, as I call it? Apart from supporting the new criterion. <laughs> well, how do we reach the masses? Well, I'm not sure one needs to reach the masses, but I, I think that uh, doing whatever you can to cultivate um, uh, that ambition that uh, uh, Samuel Johnson articulated uh, that's a marvel. I haven't heard that before. To uh, that Eric mentioned to activate the the, uh, the the listless and replenish the empty. I mean, I think that you know the first thing is to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people think that we live in a uh, a free democracy here in the West, and, and we do in many ways. But it's it's interesting to note how uh, much less free uh, we are to say, to tell the truth about many things mm -hmm. than we were a hundred years ago. <coughs> Um, uh, you know about all kinds of things. Um, the the encroachment of political correctness uh, has made it impossible to tell the truth about many many things. One of the reasons I think Tony Daniels' book, uh, In Praise of Prejudice, the necessity of preconceived ideas, is so important is that it re recalls us to that uh, that truth that we're no longer able to articulate. I mean uh, that um, prejudice needn't be synonymous with bigotry. That you know it has an illustrious heritage that. That Edmund Burke referred to, uh, you know, that just prejudice rendered a man's virtue his habit, and so on. I mean, there's the traditional, the conventional, the customary. These these are uh, great resources. They're moral resources that have been called into question by the pernicious influence of people like John Stuart Mill, and uh, we need to uh, have the courage to to battle that. How we do that is um, again by telling the truth and by supporting those uh, th those people and those organs that um, uh, help us tell the truth. Other people here may have something to add to that. But. Well, what I'd like to suggest at this point is that we all continue the conversation uh, over a glass of wine and canapé, and thank you very uh, much. Oh, sorry. What, what, one other thing, it's, it's since uh, Shelley was mentioned, uh, although not by name, I'll just point out that W.H. Auden observed that the real unacknowledged legislators of, of mankind were the secret police, not the poets. <laughs> <laughs> Eric. Yeah, but, uh, several people have asked me, where do you find the new criterion in London? And I wonder if you might, I, I know one place, of course. Right, well, this is actually, I, you know, anyone who's uh, involved in, in publishing will tell you that distribution is a challenge, especially internationally. And we actually are, are making, uh, you know, headway with, 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 uh, 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 with being distributed here. For now, and I, Roger will correct me if I'm wrong. I believe uh, that, that the best way to assure that the new criterion will uh, arrive uh, regularly every month is to subscribe. And we uh, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, are, are very good uh, about getting the new criterion around the world. We have many international subscribers. That's the best way to do it for now. And then uh, we'll see uh, what bookstores uh, we're, we wind up in in the next year or two. But we'll look forward to that as well. 
But for now, please uh, join us in a glass of wine, and uh, we'll, uh, uh, we'll look forward to talking with you further. Thanks so much for being here.